the best, 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 best of Cresta in the Afternoon countdown. Number 12. Good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta. Uh, we, last month we heard stories of uh, a new uh, study in France uh, with remarkable numbers of uh, uh, allegations and uh, priests who were uh, alleged to have abused minors. We have a new story out from Nebraska, the Attorney General there coming out with a study. And uh, we're glad to have with us right now a man who's been, uh, for years, has been looking uh, at all the data on this critically. He's also been looking at the public presentation, um, and that's Bill Donahue. Bill is, of course, president of the Catholic League for Religious and Civil Rights, the author of several books. He also has an earned doctorate in sociology, so he's well-equipped to look at some of the methodology in these studies. And Bill, it's good to have you back. And let me say right off, this is a wonderful and helpful book, The Truth About Clergy Sexual Abuse, Clarifying the Facts and the Causes. So thank you. Well, thank you. It uh, it represents over 20 years' worth of research. Yep. Uh, I didn't plan on doing it until, oh, probably just uh, about a year or two ago, uh, a couple of years ago, I decided, you know, I've, I've collected the data for so many years. I've been involved in so many of these struggles uh, that I think I really want to put my sociological training together and examine virtually everything that's been written on the subject. And uh, I've come to a number of different conclusions. Uh, I've got over 800 footnotes. It's well documented. I don't want anybody to think that this is an essay. It's not an essay. I'm not, <laughs> it's not an op-ed. Uh, I'm very careful about what I'm documenting. And uh, I think that basically, just put it this way to start out, I think most of the conventional wisdom on every aspect has been wrong. Yeah. Most of what's out there is simply false. Yeah. I, I can remember, it's a number of years ago now, that uh, I was on my way to a talk, and I saw a news report. Uh, Norway discovers new cases of abuse uh, among Catholic priests. So I, I, I did a little searching around, and the truth is, all those, there were four cases. Two of them from, were from the 50s, one was from the 80s, and the other one were simply rumors. But the headline was that there's new cases, giving the impression that there's still ongoing uh, sexual abuse on the part of priests in Norway. But this kind of problem comes up time and again, doesn't it? I mean, the retrogression, retrojection here, looking uh, at the past and thinking that it's present. Right, and there's only one institution they do this to, yeah. the Catholic Church. Right. Okay? Right. I mean, that, that's the, we have ongoing problems in the public schools, but they don't want to talk about that. Look, the, the heyday of the, of the Catholic Church, where it dropped its guard, most of the abuse, the overwhelming amount of the abuse, was mid-60s to mid-80s. You get occasional stories here and there. Uh, the latest report by the uh, National Review Board of the, uh, the Bishops' Conference, uh, which just came out yesterday, the media are not covering it, I read it, and I can tell you, we have about 50,000, just under 50,000 clergy, that's, that's uh, priests and deacons in this country. In the last year that we had the data from, going from uh, the 1st of July of last year to the 30th of June of this year, uh, there were a total of 22 accusations made against 50,000 members of the clergy. Of that 22, six were substantiated. 
In other words, I have to do the data because they don't do the data, and they should. 99.9% of the clergy did not have a substantiated accusation made against them in, in the last year. I would put that figure up against any other religious body, and indeed the secular world. Mm-hmm. I go into that in great detail. It's not just in the public schools. It's all over. Uh, that the Catholic Church has made tremendous progress. It really was a shame what happened when it dropped its guard back in the 60s, 70s, the early 80s. But we're living in the past. Almost every case, and you, you're absolutely right about that, Al, almost every single case you hear about today, these are not new cases. The bad guys are either dead or they're out of ministry. So Nebraska comes out with its report the other day. I read that report. That's what I do for a living. And I find out that, again, they can't prosecute anybody. Well, they knew that going into it. Yeah. They yeah. knew they were. I wrote a letter to Doug Peterson, the attorney general, yesterday. I said, will you now conduct a probe of the public schools? Why did you choose only one entity in the entire state of Nebraska, namely the Catholic Church? Right. Right. What, what do they? What answer do they give for not uh, investigating the public schools? That would, I mean, it would seem like a no-brainer that you're going to have problems there, just as you've had in Boy Scouts and other places. I mean, do they give you a reason why they don't investigate the public schools? Well, there, there's basically a couple of reasons why. Number one, there's what's called the doctrine of sovereign immunity. Yeah. It doesn't apply to private institutions. Government employees, and, and of course, public school teachers and staff are government employees. If you... Uh, let's say last St. Patrick's Day, felt that a teacher had abused you or some other school employee, and you have yet to make a claim against that teacher, it's too late. Wow. You have literally 90 days. The Catholic Church isn't protected this way. They've gone back to the 1950s and 40s. You have 90 days to lay a claim. That's point number one. Number two, they don't have the same record-keeping, and they get away with it, that the Catholic Church does. Number three, there isn't an ideological agenda. Not too many people hate the public schools, but there are people in our society, including some rapacious lawyers, who hate the Catholic Church. Right. And right. look, if you really want to get the bad guys, the, the, the most likely place for a minor to be abused in the United States today, and this is true for all time, is in the home. Now, people have to understand, I am not meaning... Mothers and fathers, I'm talking about sleep-in boyfriends and, regrettably, uh, stepfathers. Mm -hmm. But nobody goes after them. Why? Because there's no money in that. And they they, they think the money is in the Catholic Church, so they want to go after them for that. We don't have a doctrine of sovereign immunity. We've got the animus against us, uh, and and we have good record-keeping, and they they, they think that we can write the checks. So there are a lot of different economic reasons and ideological reasons that come to bear on this. I remember I began broadcasting in the mid-1980s, and I can remember uh, the Gilbert Goth case that came out, and then there were others uh, up in Massachusetts uh, as we went into the 90s. What were the bishops doing at that time? What can, how, what, how were they responding to those early cases? And then, of course, you had the blow-up in 2002 with the Boston Globe and John Gagan. Well, too many of them, and, and, and believe me, by, by saying this, listeners understand, I'm not trying to get the onus off the bishops back here. There were enabling bishops, uh, and, and some of them had good motives. They were just trying to be the father to the priest to try to bring him back, and we can redeem him and all sure, that. Sure. But here's what they have to know. Look, I have a doctorate in sociology. I have a lot of respect for sociologists, psychologists, and psychiatrists, but not for all of them. Many of them I do not. And the bishops... 
back in the back in the sixties, seventies, and eighties, the zeitgeist or the spirit of the times was: we can rehabilitate right. everyone. That's right. We can rehabilitate everyone. Give me Father Murphy. We'll spend six weeks with us, and bingo, we'll put him back in ministry, and he's good to go. Look, psychiatrists and even the best among them. They have to admit to the limitations of their expertise. I'm not saying they're stupid. I'm not saying they're irresponsible, except for the ones who were so cocksure in their arrogance and never second-guessing themselves. Yeah. And if you look at the track record, if a lot of these Father Murphys were recidivists, they went back a second and third time, shouldn't you, Dr. So-and-so, look in the mirror and say, you know what? Maybe I've oversold my competence. Yeah. Too many of them did not, and they gave lousy advice to the bishops. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the fascination with the, the kind of the therapeutic culture of the day. Yes. Um, what uh, you you responded with some respect, if I remember right, uh, to the 2002 uh, disclosures of the Boston Globe, uh, New York Times at that time. Did you think the the initial reporting was uh, professional? Yes, I did, and I commended them for that, and I stand by that of what I knew at the time. Mm-hmm. It's only subsequent when I realized that, wait a minute, first of all, there's no respect for the rights of the accused priests. Priests, not a bit. Secondly, I'm picking up an odor here, an agenda. They don't want to seem to let go of it. And thirdly, are they going to probe other institutions? They're going to look at the Protestants, the Jews, the Muslims, the Mormons, the public school teachers, the doctors, the lawyers, the the, 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 the therapists, uh, the, the, the coaches, I mean, Hollywood, Right down the list. I go through all of that in the book. I, and my point is, right at the very beginning of the book, we don't own this problem. Indeed, this is not our problem anymore, and it hasn't been for a long time. And yet, the media continue to sell it this way. And by the way, Al, there are people on the far right and the far left of the Catholic Church who don't want the scandal to end. The people on the far right, many of them say, oh, wait a minute, we made too many reforms in the 1960s, this is what we got. Mm-hmm. Then we get the other ones, we didn't make enough reforms in the 1960s, and this I, is what we got. Yeah. But when I hear bad news about the Catholic Church, it's bad news. It's not good news. These people in their smugness saying, well, it validates everything I've said. No, no, it's a complicated subject, uh, but we gotta, if you're going ha- to get rid of any problem, you have to have the right diagnosis. So... Uh... With the investigation that John Jay School did, uh, what did they conclude about the extent of the scandal, the problem? Well, they did a pretty good job in terms of their methodology. I think from about, you know, they looked at 1950 right up to 2002, uh, and they did a very comprehensive, they did two reports on this. Uh, I don't have any problems with their methodology. Uh, what they found is that 81% of the molesting priests uh, were having sex with men, and that 78% of them were post-pubescent. In other words, about 8 out of every 10 were adolescents. They were not... Uh, this, this, we're not dealing with pedophilia. The, right. One of the great myths out there is that this is a pedophilia scandal. About 3.5% of the, of the victims uh, had anything to do with, with, with uh, being youngsters uh, in, in terms of the young kids. Uh, I'm not justifying don't get me wrong. Right. Anybody would dare put his hands on an adolescent, but that's what it was. Now, here's where there's a cover-up, starting with John Jay and a lot of other people. Look, I've said before, I'll say it again, most of the molesting priests were gay, but not all gay priests, and indeed most gay priests, are not 
molesters. Right. We have to make a distinction here. But they don't want to talk about that. So how does John Jay say that John Jay concludes, well, this really doesn't deal with, it's not caused by homosexuality, and it really has nothing to do with it. And I say, wait a minute, you're admitting male-on-male sex with, 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 with adolescents. There's a word for that in the English language. You know how they get around it? This is the dance. Well, not all these uh, molesting homosexual priests identify as being homosexual. Well, what if they identified as being straight? <laughs> we now say we had a heterosexual scandal? Right. Uh, what if they identified as giraffes? Are we now talking about bestiality? Right. Self-identity right. is not dispositive. We have to look at behavioral reality, not perceptions of it. Bill Holtz, we've got to take a break, come back and continue the conversation. Bill Donahue, my guest, the truth about clergy sexual abuse, clarifying the facts and the causes. It's an outstanding book. It'll be available for you, of course. I'm Al Cresta. We'll be right back. The best. 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 Of Cresta in the Afternoon. Countdown. Number 12. Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. With me, Bill Donahue, uh, President of the Catholic League for Religion and Civil Rights, Religious and Civil Rights, the book, The Truth About Clergy Sexual Abuse. Bill, I want to come back to this question of homosexuality and the uh, abuse crisis. I mean, you have four, four full chapters devoted to this, so you're, it's actually very important to your analysis of it. So we've got <clears throat> homosexual priests who are targeting post-pubescent boys— you know, there's this practice of, you read about it in ancient Greece and Rome of pederasty, uh, where the an, the older homosexual man kind of uh, becomes a mentor to this, uh, a sexual mentor, to a post-pubescent boy. Is that what's going on here? Well, what I'm saying is this, the homosexuality does not cause anyone to abuse anyone. Right. However, since homosexuals are overrepresented, not just in the Catholic Church, there's a cover-up on this in, in our society, they are overrepresented when you take a look at the sexual abuse of minors in society, society-wide. Now, why is that? Look, if the Irish are overrepresented amongst the alcoholics and yep. the Native Americans, there's got to be a reason for that. Right. If the Chinese are overrepresented amongst gamblers and amongst smokers, there's got to be a reason for that. It's not because you're Irish or because you're Chinese. And if, if you're homosexual, it doesn't mean that that's because that's driving you. But there's what they call an intervening variable. There's something else that explains this, that, that lies between being a homosexual and abusing a minor. And that, I am convinced, is immaturity. Okay. Sexual and emotional immaturity. And homosexuals, more so than heterosexuals, are likely to be immature sexually and emotionally. That's why they relate to adolescents. That that's their peer. Interesting. They, they've been psychologically stunted. Kind and they of frozen. Been able to grow above it. Yeah. Uh, is that are they more narcissistic? Absolutely. A close cousin to to, to the uh, this this whole idea that uh, uh, that uh, yeah. I mean it's. Unfortunately, it is narcissism, besides the, the, uh, the, the, the immaturity. Now, again, this is not an opinion. I'm looking at the work of gay psychiatrists, mm-hmm. and there was a great book called After the Ball that came out a number yeah. of years ago. I've Most seen it, yep. In defense of them. But then they said, wait a minute, we have to have an honest discussion. There's a real problem in the gay community 
with narcissism. So, yeah, you put the immaturity and the narcissism together. That's a bad stew. Um, I remember reading on this uh, about a year and a half ago, and it, it dawned on me that uh, there had to be, a, it struck me there must be a cultural component to this because uh, those who were ordained uh, early on, uh, before the 1960s, uh, but who become abusers don't begin acting out until the 60s and 70s, where those who are ordained in the 60s and 70s seem to begin acting out almost immediately. Is that there? Yes, and I'm so happy you mentioned that, because there are some people out there, without getting any names, on the Catholic left, they've said, no, it has nothing to do with homosexuality, because when the homosexuals came in, uh, it was, the, 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 the situation was subsiding. Look, it's not the number, per se. We had homosexual priests back in the 40s and 50s, right. but they didn't act out, right. Right. because the seminaries wouldn't put up with it, and the diocese wouldn't put up with it, the culture itself wouldn't put up with it. But the sexual revolution, which hit in the 1960s, look, we're not the Yamish, God bless them. <laughs> we are part of the society. And when that sexual revolution took place, it hit the Catholic Church like a whirlwind, like a hurricane. And instead of fighting this sexual libertinism, this idea of go for broke, uh, we, should, we, we, we succumb to it. And I, and I think more than any senior leader in the Catholic Church, the person who understands this the most and he's not been treated fairly, and that's Pope Benedict XVI. Yeah. He has a very good sociological mind, and he was thrashed by people for bringing up the sexual revolution. He wasn't trying to get the onus off the back <laughs> of the bishops and the priests. He's simply saying, if you want to understand what happened, you've got to understand the roots of it. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and sociologically, he made a great deal of sense. When you, when you look at people like Marcial, uh, Marcial Maciel, uh, Theodore McCarrick, do they play significant roles in this, or are they just, you know, big players in this, in this, but they don't have much causation? Yeah, I'm so glad you mentioned that, because while my, my argument is that anybody who would abuse a minor, I don't care who the person is, priest or plumber, that, that's a sick person. That person need, needs to be treated and to be removed and, and, and uh, sanctioned, however you want to deal with it. Now, you can maybe get to some of those people. I'm not saying that they are evil. I do use that word, evil. When you get to a question where a man would impregnate all kinds of women and, 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 uh, and father children, as Maciel did, and live a promiscuous lifestyle while posing as to be a sacred person, and in the case of McCarrick, he not only vetted uh, these men and, and basically raped them intellectually as, as well as physically, these guys were studying to be priests. Yeah. You know, yeah. the, the evil was at work there. And, and we have to understand that, that, that Satan likes this. I, I quote uh, a number of priests in there, and bishops uh, at great length, uh, Cardinal Sarah uh, in, in particular. Satan loves it when the Church is, is weak. Now, we have to continue to keep our guard up, but we've made great progress. We have to understand what happened in the 60s, 70s, 80s. I love it when, when the guys on the left say, oh, that's because the Catholic Church's teachings were too strict on sexuality. You've got to be kidding me. <laughs> it's the abandonment of the Catholic Church's right, teachings. Right. And the people have to understand, I don't want people to get discouraged, the Catholic Church's teachings never let us down. It was some of the teachers, namely the priest, who let us down. Yeah. Um, who you, you talk? Look at some of these. Uh, you talk about the role of dissent in the church, and you've already been uh, referring to that. Uh, were there any particular bishops, uh, you know, real leaders within? You mentioned McCarrick, 
Were there other uh, bishops who themselves were agents of the sexual revolution? Oh, I would say that many of these uh, of, the, of those people who headed the diocese, uh, appointed by and these were these are people by, by uh, Jean Jadot, the Apostolic Nuncio, back in the 1970s. Many of those who them who presided over seminaries, which turned out to be a total wreck. They were teaching all kinds of sexual uh, experiences, or all morally neutral. They taught that in the seminaries, yeah. and so yeah, that's that's where it is. Now, I am not saying that if you're a healthy man and you have a sicko priest up there appointed by some uh, disreputable delinquent bishop back in the 1970s, that was the worst decade by far, uh, you're going to hear about all this idea about bestiality and everything else and homosexuality, and we shouldn't make moral judgments. That was taught by Anthony Kosnick's book, Common Human Sexuality, yep. uh, and, and other books. You, you're probably not going to go out and abuse somebody. However, what if you're a man and you had problems, real issues, you had severe disorders, and now you hear that the Catholic Church's teachings are the problem. We're too uptight about sexuality. Right. You've got to loosen up. Right. Everything goes. That would be lots healthier. We're sexual human beings. That's the Playboy philosophy. Right. Well, if you're already disordered and you hear this by the dissenting priests and bishops, hey, guess what? They just gave you the green light. Yep. Yeah. You mentioned Cosnick, by the way. This book, Human Sexuality, New Directions in American Catholic Thought, I actually remember when it came out, because I was actually running bookstores at the time, Christian bookstores. We had some Catholics who came in, we actually sold a number of those books. What, what, what was Kosnick's status in the Church? Uh, was he an activist? Was he a true scholar? What kind of person was he? No, he was more of an activist, posing as a scholar, as okay. I would say. Yeah. Uh, and, and that book, along with a book by Caller and Bauer called Human Sexuality, both have the same title, Human Sexuality. One was by a priest and the other one by lay people. They pretty much taught the exact same kind of thing, uh, that we shouldn't make moral judgments, regardless of the... We're talking about, I mean, I hate to talk about it, but we're talking about necrophilia. Sex with the dead. Well, You're not allowed to make a moral judgment on this. Yeah. Now, again, the average guy is not going to go out there and you know, do a graveyard. <laughs> but what I'm saying is that if you get some people who are disordered uh, and you hear that this is okay, the, the, the dissidents have to take responsibility. The National Catholic Reporter has to own up for the damage that it did by creating a subculture of gays where they covered for each other and they got it directly from them. And, and, and it bothers me to know when that the National Catholic Reporter continues to this day to say, oh, the, the bishops, they, they, they let this, uh, this uh, sexual abuse happen. Yeah, and you played a major role in, in affirming it. Yeah. Uh, what about this? Uh, what about the idea of a, is, is there, was there or is there a widespread gay subculture in seminaries? Or is this something that you know, popped up? In various seminaries, but there were no, there was no necessary linkage, uh, you know, b- between the seminaries themselves. Uh, so, for instance, in Detroit, you have a seminary, and you had a provincial seminary in Plymouth, Michigan, which uh, was rumored to be involved in a lot of this stuff. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they were connected to a seminary in Cincinnati or in Denver, uh, or was there? Well, that's- a- Go ahead. That's true, yeah. and a lot of it had to do with the bishop himself. Okay, they knew what was going on. I know of I know of uh, situations where they closed seminaries because of AIDS. Yeah, and that's how out of control it was. But they didn't want to say anything there. Now the gay subculture again. This is not just Bill Donahue who was a conservative sociologist speaking this way. Andrew Greeley, who nobody would ever accuse <laughs> of being a conservative, right? He t- he called he called it the lavender mafia. 
Now, he wow. was wrong about a lot of things. He said that the, there were hundreds of thousands of kids who were abused, and it's all because each priest had 50 uh, victims. No, each priest had one, one father, one, not 50. But he was right about the gay subculture, and Donald Cousins and many others have affirmed this. Now, again, the good news is, there's very little of this going on today, mm-hmm. okay? It's, we've made a major strides because of the bishops' reforms, the Dallas Charter. Also, the word had gotten out even before that, the reforms, that the party's over, fellas. This is not a place for you to be. And remember, well, Pope Francis is correct to say that men with deep-seated homosexual tendencies should not pursue the priesthood. Mm-hmm. He got those exact words from his predecessor, yep. Pope Benedict the Sixteenth. He yeah. gets the real credit for this. Yeah. No, that's. I'm glad you point. I'm glad you brought that out because he did take it on the chin uh, when he spoke clearly in this area. But he's all. He also worked juridically, right? When he was pope, when he was behind the scenes, he was doing lots of things. And and you know the thing is, the people say, oh, well, he was too hard on people and dissenters. No. He wasn't. Even John Allen uh, of Crux has come out and said, no, he, his record was actually quite good on this yeah. thing here. Yeah, he did more than anyone. I don't think that John Paul II, Saint, uh, John Paul II was really upward in, in his late, later years uh, to, to, to really understand the, 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 the totality of this and what happened. And some people misled him. As I point out in the book about McCarrick, there are people who surrounded Pope John Paul II who simply did not listen to the great Cardinal O'Connor. Had they done so, McCarrick would have been checked a lot. Early, earlier on, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you point that out in the book. What percentage of Catholic priests overall would you say uh, had this problem? Oh, well, let's put it this way. 149 priests are responsible for 26% of all the abuse cases in between 1950 and 2002. 149. Okay. Which, a very small percent of the priests.